The Florida Football Insiders Podcast is presented by Beef O'Brady's here in Tampa, located at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue, as well as Home Slice Pizza Company and Hank's Barbecue. Enjoy the podcast. A look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. Okay, welcome in our week 14 version of the Florida Football Insiders. We're part of the College Football Gridiron, College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Thank you to Steve Carney for the nice introduction and for all of his hard work throughout the year, helping all of us uh, get our podcast up and running each and every week from all over the country, from the Pac-12 to the Big 12 to the Southeastern Conference here in the state of Florida, the Big 10 and such. So, Big shout-out and thanks to Steve Carney for doing all he does. And Steve's also the host of the uh, – of the R, or he does the Service Academy podcast on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network as well. So thanks to Steve. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving as we lead into December. The uh, We've got a good, good episode for you this week. We're going to talk to Coach Jim Levitt again, talking all things rivalry weeks. We had some wild games in the state of Florida amongst USF and UCF. Florida, Florida State, an all-time record set in that matchup. We had some other uh, good matchups, FIU, FAU, both lose close, and then Miami as well. So we're going to talk We're going to talk uh, the rivalries. We're going to talk some coaching carousel, a lot, of, a lot of coaching moves around the country, a big coaching move here in the state of Florida that's getting ready to, to get decided upon over at USF. So we'll see what Coach thinks about uh, some of the coaching carousels and just the life of a coach this time of year. This is a, this is a t- tough time of the year for coaches that get let go and such. And we'll get coaches insight on those uh, on those doings of what happens when, when, when you leave for another job or you get fired or get let go, whatever the scenario is. So, got again, going to talk to Coach Jim Levitt. We're also going to talk to the new voice of the Florida Gators, Sean Kelly. Sean Kelly uh, replaced Mick Hubert, who had been the uh, – Florida voice of the Gators for for shoot 25 to 30 years I think I, I, well over almost 30 years Sean comes to uh, Gainesville he's also a broadcaster for ESPN you've you probably heard, have heard Sean do national college football NBA so we're gonna talk about Sean's career coming to Gainesville what drew him to the job in Gainesville and such so you'll enjoy our chat with Sean Kelly and last, we will talk to Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel. Matt, Matt was at the Florida-Florida State game, covering the game for the Orlando Sentinel. We're going to talk Florida-Florida State. He also covers Central Florida. So we're going to talk uh, Central Florida USF as well as Central Florida preparing for the AAC championship game this weekend in New Orleans, rematch versus Tulane. So with a New, with a, uh, new Year's Six bowl berth on the line. So uh, three great spots for you. Before we get to that, I'm going to give you a couple. Obviously, it's championship week. We're going to talk uh, championship week with Coach Levitt as well. I'm going to give you some of my game predictions for the championship week. Let's, I'm going to start off with a stunner. I think Kansas State is going to stun TCU, figure out a way. Uh, at the time of this recording, the playoff uh, CFP playoff came out. 
Uh, the same top four. Uh, the top four is Georgia one, Michigan two. You, I mean TCU three and USC four. Obviously, Michigan thumped uh, Ohio State last week. Ohio State drops to five, which means they kind of value Ohio State, the committee right now, ahead of a two-loss Alabama at six. So very interesting how they placed uh, Alabama behind Ohio State. So if uh, the if TCU slips up potentially or if USC slips up in the Pac-12 title game this weekend, you could see Ohio State back in the mix. Uh, but we will be very interesting to see what happens if one of those guys slip up. So I think it's pretty safe to say that if that Georgia and Michigan are probably locks to be in the college football playoff, win or lose, it's TCU and USC are the ones we have that 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 there will be some decision to be made if they were to get beat. But give me Kansas State in a rematch over TCU. Remember, Kansas State had a big had a sizable lead over TCU earlier in the year. They played probably week four, week five, week six, something like that. Uh, I think Kansas State is going to stun TCU and ruin the perfect season, and we'll see how that, how, how that, if a loss by TCU knocks them out of the playoff picture. USC and Utah will have a rematch on Friday night in Las Vegas. Remember, USC lost to Utah earlier in the, in, earlier in the year in a classic. Utah went for two to win at the end. I think it was 44-43 was the final in in Salt Lake City, they get it done. Cam Rising and company, Caleb Williams, another very impressive performance against Notre Dame over last weekend. He is, to me, the clear favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. But again, I think USC will get it done in Las Vegas. Uh, Utah has not been the team we thought they were going to be. Good team, solid team, but I think USC is going to be able to do just enough, and their defense has been opportunistic enough, creating some turnovers. I think Michigan's going to handle Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. And I think Georgia's going to handle now a depleted LSU in the SEC title game. LSU loses last week in College Station to Texas A&M. Jaden Daniels injured an ankle. We'll see what his status is for Saturday in Atlanta. Again, a de facto home game for the Bulldogs. The game's in the Georgia Dome. I'm sorry, not the Georgia Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It will be a very pro-Georgia crowd. I don't think you'll have a huge LSU turnout. Uh, it, you'll have people there, but not nearly the crowd you would have had at LSU coming to that game with a chance to get in the playoff. But by losing to A&M, they're done. Uh, but, a, but again, a great, great year by Brian Kelly and Baton Rouge getting revitalizing that program when nobody thought they would be a factor this year. They have, uh, especially after the, the heartbreaking loss to Florida State week one, what a job getting LSU to, to nine wins. They're nine and three going to the SEC title game. So I do like uh, LSU comfortably. AAC title game. You got Central Florida Tulane. We don't know what the status is of John Reese Plumley, who we'll talk to Matt Marshall about what his status is. I like Tulane in the game. I think the revenge factor of Tulane. Uh, one correction that you're going to hear Matt and I talking about in our interview was the was the idea of Willie Fritz potentially going to Georgia Tech. Strong high on their list. Georgia Tech has hot is all but hired Brent Key, who was their interim coach. Uh, all but hired him to be the permanent head coach. So Willie Fritz, most in all likelihood, will not be going to Georgia Tech. You'll hear Matt and I talking about that scenario, whether that helps Tulane or hurts them. But I do think Tulane is going to get it done Saturday in New Orleans, a little revenge. They played a couple of weeks ago. Again, the status of Plumlee will be key in this game as well. A couple coaching moves. Auburn has hired Hugh Freeze. Again, there was all kind of speculation about Lane Kiffin, maybe Deion Sanders. But Hugh Freeze... 
is the new coach at Auburn. They are keeping Cadillac Williams in the mix as part of the staff. Gave him a raise, gave him a promotion. Cadillac did a fine job in his three or four weeks. Uh, I think it was maybe five weeks as the coach. So give Cadillac credit for doing a good job, quality job by Auburn, keeping him in the mix. You don't want him getting out of the building, a guy that's a diehard Auburn guy. And Hugh Freeze has a sketchy background, but we will see what happens with Hugh Freeze uh, in Auburn, six-year contract. Again, remember Matt Rule going to Nebraska. You'll hear some, some of the chatter we talk with Coach Levitt about and all that. So awesome episode for you. Coach Jim Levitt, Sean Kelly, new voice of the Gators, and Matt Merchell, Orlando Sentinel. Enjoy the podcast. Remember, if you haven't already done so, hit subscribe on your device. Subscribe to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. We will have another podcast next week once the final CFP rankings come out with Coach Levitt. We'll talk to Coach Levitt about some of the bowl games. I think those will get announced as well. So we will uh, we will have another pod, one more podcast for you, and we will probably do another podcast towards the end of December previewing the uh, college football playoff games and such. So uh, lots of info. Again, subscribe, rate, and review. Part of the College Coast to Coast Gridiron, College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. Again, if you want content from all over the country, go to that go to that uh, platform. Check out all the different podcasts from all of our great uh, hosts and contributors to the network. So. Uh, enjoy the podcast at Twitter, at JPO Sports is the handle. Love to hear from you. If you like what we're doing, you can go to the YouTube channel as well, Jason Powers Sports Channel, for all the video interviews as well, not only for this podcast, but also the No Quarter Given podcast if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, as well as my Powers on Sports podcast, which is kind of an all-encompassing sports podcast. We talk all things sports, NFL, World Cup, uh, whatever's going college football, coaching, media, We've got some good episodes for you there, too. So thanks for the support. Appreciate it. And again, we'll be right back with Coach Jim Levitt. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Hey, guys and girls, with the college football season getting to the holidays here in November and December, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. Go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and here in the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as well as the Powers on Sports Podcast. You'll receive 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. 
Put $100 in, you'll get an additional $125 to play with. $200, you'll get $250 to play with, and so on and so forth. BetUS also has all the NFL, World Cup, NHL, NBA, and even college basketball that's about to tip off here in the holiday season, as well as almost any other sport you can think of. But we all know you are college football fans at heart, as well as NFL fans. And we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check them out at BetUS.com. And remember, 125% matching bonus for all initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, and you get paid. All right, welcome back. Coaching the Kicker segment, part of the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Just a reminder uh, Sean Kelly, the new play-by-play voice of the Florida Games, will be following Coach Levitt here on the podcast this week. So we're going to have a good chat with Coach uh, with Sean Kelly. But first up, Coach Jim Levitt's back with us here. We have reached the end of the regular season, Coach. First of all, happy Thanksgiving, Coach. Hope you and the girls had a great holiday weekend. Uh, it's all good. Thanksgiving is always fun. Ate a lot of food, watched some football, and, you know, like everybody else. Yep, uh, what a wild week! We thought this was kind of gonna gonna kind of be a ho hum week of the of the favorites winning, and obviously we had the Ohio State Michigan showdown. But I mean, state of Florida, we had two tremendous rivalry games here in the state with Florida, Florida State, and then UCF and USF, and and then around the country we had some some chaos has ensued with uh, you know LSU going down with Michigan going up to Columbus and doing what they did. Just your overall thoughts of the weekend rivalry. We, we talked about it last week how these rivalry weeks are so unpredictable. Well, I, unbelievable games. You know, I was, I was really, you know, of course, I worked for Jim Harbaugh when I was with the 49ers for, you know, four seasons. And what a great job. I mean, how do you not give him coach of the year? I mean, to go into Columbus and to destroy Ohio State like they did. Uh, you know, I was up last night at 2 a.m. watching a replay of that game. It's unbelievable game. And they just got, they just flat got after him. And, you know, what do you think they're, you know, they, they hired the defense coordinator from Oklahoma state to come in to Ohio state because of exactly this, because they had lost to Michigan and they moved on the defensive staff, brought in new defense staff and Michigan absolutely got after him. So what do they do now? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy profession crazy world love college football you know it was unbelievable and then florida state what a great job they did with florida and i knew that would be going to be a close game yep that ended up being a, a great game to watch and uh you know of course i was at florida state for one season and uh and then you look at uh, central florida and south florida give south florida a lot of credit they're getting buried buried 28, in half- 28 nothing down 28 nothing, And they come back, storming back. I didn't see the uh, the end of the game. But, uh, you know, from what I gather, they, they took the lead. And then uh, Central Florida put that drive together and won the game. But, you know, like I said last week, South Florida could definitely beat Central Florida. Yep. And what I was impressed was they never, ever gave up. They just kept playing. And that's a tribute to the coaches and, and to the players. And, um, you know, like I said before, it wasn't going to be a the, the talent wasn't going to be the, the difference. You know, you just got to keep playing. And they they very well, you know, they had three games this year. They could have won against really good teams yep. in Florida, 
Cincinnati and Central Florida. And they lost the close games. That's the one thing that we were able to do. When I look back at the career I had at South Florida was we were able to win the close games. Right. You know, and, you know, through kicking game or defense or something, we pulled off many, many wins with close games. A kick at the end, a few go here or there. And that's, you know, been the, the, the difficulty with South Florida, certainly not winning the close games. Yeah, they were down 28 nothing. took the lead 39-38, and then give Central Florida credit. The, 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 uh, the Plumlee kid got hurt in, at halftime, didn't play the second half, and the backup, who, who, we've, who we've mentioned a couple times earlier in the year, has come in and played pretty well, threw, threw a ball, and a receiver for Central Florida made an unbelievable catch to, for the winning touchdown in the last 25 seconds of the game. An Odell, if you remember Odell Beckham's one-handed catch, a very similar catch to that right along the pylon. I saw the replay. I, I, you, you got to think right away that it wasn't a completion. It was close, and, very close. I didn't see all the replays, but I guess after they showed all the replays, and sometimes you got to wonder about those replays. It's just, <laughs> you know, you just don't know. Um, but you know, they they looked at it for a long time and said and it was a catch. Are you a fan of replay? Meaning, do you think there should be replay in the game, or do you think it should just be more the human, the human judgment of the officials? No, I, I think replay is good. I think they overdo it sometimes, <laughs> but I uh, but I, I think it's a good thing to have. Why not have it? They're trying to, you know, they're trying to take some of those poor decisions out of the game. So, you know, it's, it's I would say most coaches would probably say it's a good thing, but you know, uh, sometimes I think they overdo it. Yeah, the Florida-Florida State game, you had the highest scoring game in the history of the series, 45-38. You know, back and forth game, Florida State uh, jumped out, and then obviously they were up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Give Florida credit. They come back, tie the game, 38-all. Florida State goes down the field, scores 45-38. Then you had a little controversy at the end. You had an interference call, which kept the last drive alive. And then on the last play of the game for Florida, looked like an apparent face mask that wasn't called. Uh, against the Florida quarterback on fourth down tough just a tough way if you're a Florida you know if you're the Florida coaching staff and you watch that on replay that's a tough way for that game to end well I was glad Florida State brought pressure on the fourth down play I I would have done the same you know you know try to win or lose the game right there uh and I didn't uh yeah it you know that should have been called and uh it looked like to me you know on the replay and you know that's a big deal yeah, that, that that's sometimes those calls are worth uh, millions of dollars. On and you wonder why sometimes those call, you wonder why replay can't fix something egregious like that. It wasn't like it was a 50 50 call. That was a pretty apparent call. That's the one part of replay. I think a lot of coaches and guys like you would say, well, if we're going to have replay. Why can't we fix the obvious error that's made in the game? Right. You know, and I mean, that's you know, that's going to be talked about, you know, that. You know, it's just like when we played, we were number two in the nation. We played Rutgers. There were some awful calls. And after the game, they it was admitted that there were some really bad calls in that game. Uh, we would have scored another touchdown right before half. Uh, they called batting of the ball with Tyrone McKenzie. But, you know, it showed that it wasn't. And But it's, you know, it's hard. It's a difficult, you know, you, you want to play above the officiating. But there's so much parity. Right. So right. close, it's hard to do that. The margins are so small, man. The margins of victory, of, of defeat, and and, uh, and and you know this, and everybody in this business knows it. 
the it's a it's a you've and you've mentioned it many times this year it's a win-loss business nobody cares that you play close it's a win-loss business and eventually if you lose enough games you're not going to be at that place anymore and you know and we're going to get into this a little bit later this is a this is probably the worst week in the coaching profession for college coaches this you know from the weekend this last weekend through this week is probably the worst week for guys that when you lose your there's a lot of turnover that's going to happen and we'll talk a little bit about it moving on but i mean you know, that's why it's, you know, they review targeting. So why can't you review an obvious face mask? Those are some of the things that, you you know, you wonder. You, and I'm an official, and I, I'm pro referees, but still, you wonder why if you're going to have replay, why you can't get the egregious mistakes corrected. Right. And, and you said, you know, the close games, like I know you'll get into a little bit, but look at the Florida Atlantic. Yep. They've lost, like, uh, they end up with a losing season for a second year in a row. Yep. But they lost. West Kentucky's a very good team. They, they played Auburn off their feet. And here they go into FAU and they lose in double overtime. You know what I mean? And right. and if they win that game, Willie Taggart probably still has his job. And they, go they, to a bowl, and they might go to a bowl game. Right. They lose. Uh, Coach Taggart fired. And uh, and then you look at West Michigan. They have – well, I'm getting off on a tangent because they have one losing season and then they fire their coach right. over eight or nine years. So it's, it's such a – it's a crazy business. It's not a fun business. Coaching part of it's great. I always love coaching, but this is the time of year that's just awful for for wives, families, right. kids, right. husbands trying to find jobs. Uh, yet it's one of the greatest professions there is, but it's a horrible business. Yeah, like you said, you mentioned FAU. They go down. They lose in double overtime, thirty-two, thirty-one to Western Kentucky. Five and seven. You mentioned Coach Taggart. He was he was uh, let go Sunday. Um, so again, we, we'll talk a little bit about just the coaching carousel on here a little bit. But FIU goes down. They lose a competitive game to Middle Tennessee. Give them credit. They played close. They end up four and eight again. I think Coach Year One of Coach McIntyre. Nobody thought they were going to win four games. So I think that's a success for them down in uh, down in Miami. Yeah, I mean, you you be, they beat La Tech. That was a big win. They went all the way out to New Mexico State. This is what's interesting. They go out and, and uh, beat New Mexico State, which Jerry kills a, a tremendous coach. Yep. And Liberty, with Hugh Freeze, is buried by New right. Mexico State. Right. I, I don't know where that game was at, whether it was at Liberty or whether it was out there, but that just makes no sense. And then Hugh Freeze has done a tremendous job, you know, with, with the Liberty program. Yep. And but they, they faltered at the end against teams that you would think they would beat. Right. And created already a great resume. Uh, it's just, and then, you know, we talked already about LSU and Texas A&M. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. LSU had all the momentum. They're playing so well. Then they lose to Texas A&M, who was going the other direction. It just shows that I've always said this. Is, we started this, uh, the podcast, at any given game. You're right. Hard to win a game. And, you know, the talent level is so even that any given Saturday or Friday night or Thursday or whenever you play, you can beat somebody. If you get everybody together, your eye together, you get, you know, a few breaks here and there. And then Miami wraps up their regular season. They lose to Pitt at home. Not very inspiring. You, you thought they might come out with a little bit more competitiveness in that last game. Didn't didn't play very well. They were they were beat pretty handily. They 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 wrap up a five and seven year year one of Mario Cristobal. Yeah, I I you know you, they got more talent than that. I mean something's wrong with the whole thing there, you know. And uh, you know Cristobal, he's 
uh, you know, you're from that area and played at Miami, yeah. but that doesn't mean you're going to win. Right. You know, it's, you know, you, and it's your first year, you know, nobody's going to, you know, fire him for his first year. Uh, but you don't want to have two losing seasons. You're, you're, you're University of Miami for goodness sakes. Yeah. Probably won more national championships than maybe anybody other than USC. I think USC's won a bunch. Um, and again, Alabama has recently, certainly, and Alabama's won a bunch, but, uh, I mean, that's one of the premier programs. Uh, it comes in there, and yeah, that surprised me. You know that uh, that finish like that. If you're Florida State, I know I, we'll, we'll get one more comment on the Florida State Florida game. If you're Florida State, obviously a huge end of the year, everything's going up, up, up. How how good? You know how much? How much do you guys, you coaches, use these rivalry games? Whether it's recruiting or whatever, how much do you use? Hey, we beat Florida this year. Hey, we beat Central Florida this year. How much do you guys use those kind of nuggets when it comes to recruiting guys and just the overall branding of your program? Well, you're going to use that, no doubt. You know, I mean, that's a big deal for Florida State because them and Florida are going to go after a lot of the same people. And Central Florida, what they'll say is that, you know, South Florida will say, hey, look how close we were. We're right there. We're competing with them. You know, um, but Central Florida will say we've beaten them how many times now in a row? Right. You know, the Big 12. I mean, Central Florida's got a lot more to sell right now than South Florida as far as those type of things. You know, because you go into a recruit, you say, hey, you want to play against the best, don't you? And if they say yes, and they say, why don't you? You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard. And, you know, South Florida now is going to be playing the FIUs, the FAUs, the Old Dominions. You know, the um, I mean, they, they, lo- they lost their opportunity you know, years ago to, you know, to, to bridge that gap. And now it's not, you're not playing. Like when I was there, we were playing the West Virginias. We were playing the Louisville's, the Pittsburgh, right. Syracuse. You know, we, we played those kind of people in, in non-conference with the Florida States, the Auburns. Uh, yeah. Uh, we went up and played Kentucky and played a lot of those type of people. Now their schedule, just being real honest, you know, they're, they're playing the old dominions, uh, right. you know, the, uh, uh, you know, like I said, uh, FIU, FAU, North Texas. And, you know, the draw off those teams, how many people coming in, you've got to win. you you, you got to win now against those type of non-conference because their schedule is getting, you know, I, I'm not going to say easier. I'm not going to say that. It's just different, you know, uh, playing Charlotte. Right. It's going to be different than playing Cincinnati. Right. So, and, uh, you know, so they've got a, a chance to build a thing, but, and then they want to build an on stamp on campus stadium when they're drawing maybe about ten thousand or five thousand, maybe yeah. ten thousand. Now I don't know how many people are gonna to want to drive drive up if they don't win. Right. The FIUs, the Charlottes, those people, and they want to build a four hundred million dollar stadium and uh that's probably what's gonna to cost today up that far away. Um, you know, we had trailers, we we won games in, in Raymond James and our last year there, we averaged 53,000 a game. Uh, I think primarily because we won a bunch of games and we were servants to the people in the Tampa Bay area. You fans, know, fans want to support winners. Fans want fans will go to the game if you're winning. They'll support well, South Florida if they're winning. Yeah, I think that you know. So, you know, this is a big hire for for uh, for Mike Kelly and, and he, yeah. you know, he really, obviously all these schools that are hiring people, they all want to get it right. Sure, and, and you don't know. Sometimes it's very hard to know, you know. Typically, in an interview process, 
is it typically a one interview scenario if you're interviewing for with with an AD or with a or with with a head coach that you're trying to get an assistant coaching job with? How many interviews do you typically go through with the administrative or the decision maker before they make a decision? Well, you know, I, I've interviewed for head jobs uh, a fair amount. You know, um, you know, with uh, Colorado State and with right. um, uh, with Kansas State, Texas Tech, just a few years ago. And those were really one interviews. And then, you know, uh, you know, I knew some of those people pretty well. Uh, in South Florida was really one big interview, but I talked to Paul Griffin a number of times. Uh, with, as D coordinator jobs, big ones, like with Hugh Freeze, I, uh, Hugh Freeze reached out to me as far as yep. Ole Miss. I said, we don't know each other. I think we need to meet, just see if you, <laughs> right. if you things that I do. And we met and it went really, really well. And uh, and then I interviewed with their whole staff and it was fun. I was teaching kind of the defense that I run. Uh, but then I made a decision. Uh, I made a decision to go to Oregon, you know, and uh, uh, Phil Knight got involved with that and just ended up out that way. So, you know, it, <laughs> you can't turn down the Nike, the Nike logo, man. <laughs> and it was a good experience. You know, we won, a, won some games and it was fun. And, you know, I enjoyed the Pac-12. You know, it was do, you, do you typically, when you go when interviewing for these bigger jobs, is that something you want to go in person or is that something where you can do a Zoom interview? Do you want to see the facilities and the offices and all that stuff? Or is it more just knowing the coach a little bit and then, you know, the head coach or the guy you're going to work for? You always want to do it in person. You know, I mean, that's so important. Yep. And certainly you want to get to to see the the venue they play in and the facilities and all that. I mean, you could do all that I know through Zoom. Um, but I, I never like Zoom with anything if right. I can do person, right? It's just more personal, you know. That's, that's just my feeling on it, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. All right, let's get to some of these uh conference title game matchups this week. We got this is obviously championship week in all these conferences. You know, you got uh, you got Michigan, Purdue, you got USC and Utah, you got TCU, Kansas State, you got UCF going back to Tulane to play Tulane again, who they just played a couple weeks ago. Just give me your thought, you know, Clemson, North Carolina. Just give me your thoughts of of what which one of these games kind of intrigues you the most. Well, certainly when you look for the who's going to play for the national championship, you got to look at USC, who's right in there. Right. And they're with Utah. And Utah's already beaten them once. It was a great game, one of the great games all year. And now they're going to face off again. If Utah beats them again, obviously they're out. But, you know, think about this. Say USC beats Utah this, this time, and uh, USC has one loss to a Utah team that will probably be unranked if that happens. On a two-point conversion. Yeah. And then now you have Ohio State. With one loss. lost came to Michigan. And has buried everybody thought they were unstoppable. Why wouldn't you put Ohio State in over USC? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's going to be the big question. And uh, TCU, you know, they're undefeated. If they lose to Kansas State, do they go in with one loss? Right. You no. Know? Uh, if they win, obviously they're in. Uh, so you know, you just you just, those games are the big ones for me. North Carolina and Clemson don't look like anybody from the ACC is going to be in there. Right. Right. But. Uh, you know, LSU kind of messed up their deal. Exactly. They're still playing Georgia, I believe. And they, you don't know LSU, the crazy team. They could end up beating Georgia. 
Their quarterback's yeah. nicked up. The guy you like, Daniels, hurt his ankle over the weekend in the A&M game. So his status is iffy. If they don't know Daniels, they'll get crushed. But if they have Daniels, they at least have a fighting chance. Yeah, and I didn't know. I didn't realize that until you just told me that because I heard about the loss, but I didn't know that Daniels got hurt. And that makes huge more difference to me uh, when you say that. So, you know, those are the two big games. You know, yep. the, the, I'm just going to produce. Certainly, I don't see Purdue beating them, but. Like I said, any given game, you know, you just don't know. Michigan better stay on edge, and they better and, and they better not be thinking about national championships. Well, how about this one? Michigan loses to Purdue, right? To Michigan still, right? You know, one right. one loss to Purdue, USC, one loss to Utah. I mean, it's, this will be a big weekend, no doubt. Uh, for these games, you know, it really will be in Tulane, Central Florida. You know, they're um. You know, I'll, that'll be an interesting game. Tulane plays good defense. Can they beat them a second time? You know, that's always a that's always a, a big task. And now, and now there's a lot of speculation that Willie Fritz, the Tulane coach, is going to be moving on to Georgia Tech potentially. How do how do you again preparation with all these distractions? Obviously, especially involving the coach. How does that play into preparation for a game like this, where Tulane hasn't been in a title game in forever? Oh, I, I think that's. Uh, a, a real factor you don't want distractions and it you know teams can take that either way when Sunny Dykes went to TCU we played Tulsa right his last game and you know at halftime it was pretty close second half the number of the receivers starting receivers didn't come out and even play you know, there's the, the team was so upset wow about Coach Dykes going to a crosstown rival. Wow. And, I mean, Fort Worth right there in Dallas. Uh, it was it was very, very, very challenging. The, the most challenging experience I've ever had in all the years I've been coaching. It was tough. You know, lost a close game. And, you know, and I think the coach at Tulsa has done a great job. They let him they, go. They let year. him go, yep. And they just beat Houston. They just beat a team that they, they weren't supposed to beat. They just beat Houston over the weekend. I know it's it's crazy. I don't understand the, the the thought behind a lot of these schools, and sometimes they move a coach on. They think they're just going to be that much better. And a lot of times, they, many times recently, they get worse. They don't get better, you know. So, I mean, you you look at you look at Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M, right? You look at who are his overall record, and they fire him, and it's probably better. Better record than Jimbo right now. Million dollars to you know Jimbo Fish. <laughs> There's been I, some. Uh, and, and okay, and speaking of that, with 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 coaches leaving and coaches that are staying, with the transfer portal as active as it is now, how how much do you as a coach have to use this week to resell your guys to stay? Because that's <laughs> just all about having to keep keep the guys staying. You've already heard. Certain guys around the country have announced, I'm getting into the transfer portal, and their coach hasn't even been fired. Their coach is still there. How, how much of it is selling your guys to stay, especially this week? A big deal. And especially if you got a quarterback. You better go to right. see him. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have three or four players that you've got to reach out to. And you got to spend time. And you got to recruit them. You've got, you have to do a good job. I went down to FAU. They lost their, their D coordinator was gone. I went down there with Coach Taggart for one year. And I remember a defensive back that we had to do everything we could 
to keep him from going to Florida State. <laughs> and and he ended up going to Florida State and ended up working out where you know we were we were pretty good at that position. He didn't even play at Florida State. And I didn't think he probably would. So uh, you know, I mean it worked out for us, but and you've got and we had we worked hard to keep him, but it's hard to keep a guy when they won a bunch of games, coach left, you know, went, uh, Lane Kevin went to Ole Miss. Right. And, um, you know, and they think they're that good. And sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Yeah. It's that's, that's the, I mean, nowadays that's even more important as, I mean, at just as important as recruiting the high school kids is using this week, the next 10 days or so, probably to recruit your own team to keep them, especially the guys that you know, that are good players that are young and that are, that have futures. All right. Listen to the Coach in the Kicker segment, part of the Florida Football Insiders with Coach Jim Levitt. We're just hashing up uh, the state of Florida. We're going all around the country. Let's talk about some of these coaching moves, some very interesting moves over the weekend. The big bombshell, Matt Rule, back at Nebraska, leaving, obviously left, was fired at Carolina and then the NFL, takes over in Nebraska. You think that's a good fit there in uh, Lincoln with Matt Rule? Ten-year deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good I fit, mean, huh, Coach? <laughs> I mean, how about that? A ten-year deal. Uh, Nebraska's a hard job. They're all hard jobs, and uh, no reason Nebraska can't win. You know, but it doesn't have the, um, uh, you know, it's recruiting not the base. Same. The recruiting yeah, base. Well, it's, it's so different. They should never left the Big Twelve. I understand why they did. There was a lot of jealousy and egos involved there, uh, but it's you know. We'll see how he does. You know, he did a great job at Baylor. Did a good job at Temple. Yeah. Um, you know, Scott Frost did a really good job at Central Florida. Yeah. Outstanding. And, you know, so it's hard. You know, the dynamics, you know, getting the right players. It's about recruiting. You got to get some players. You got to have players. You got to obviously develop them and teach them. But you got to get the players there that have the potential to be great. And if they don't do that, they're gonna have a hard time. How know? much of it? How much is it of it is about you as the coach coming in, selling to the fan base? Hey guys, this is gonna take. This is not gonna be a one year turnaround. How 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 hard and challenging is part of your job as the head coach? Is it to to? I know you can't you can't pander to the boosters and all that. I get that and the fans, but you have to give them an expectation, a real realistic expectation of where you're at, don't you? Well, I never did in South Florida when I was hired. I said our goal is to get better. Okay. I never said we're going to win a national championship or win the conference or win any games because, you know, a lot of times you, I don't know. Right. You know, you're putting your staff together, you're doing all that. All you, all you keep grinding, you just try to get better, you know. And I, I mean, the, the fans are going to put expectations on you. They're going to do it themselves. You don't have to create it, you know. And everybody loves it, the speech. You know, like I remember Skip Holtz came in and South Florida says, we're going to beat Florida and made a big deal out of it. <laughs> Why would you do that? Right. It, that doesn't mean you won't beat Florida. You might very well beat Florida. You don't want to sit there and tell everybody you're going to beat Florida just because you're going to get a hundred people that are going to cheer you on and go, you know, <laughs> Hey, and you're the, you're the best and all that. Right. I, I, you know, let other people set the expectations. You know, it's just like when we went up before state, you know, and everybody knows this, that I was upset about the billboard. They came out and says we're part of the big four. Well, we weren't. Right. And what, what bothered me about that most is we, we were on our way. And we were on a great trajectory. But you don't want to sit there and 
tell everybody we're already there because we weren't. We were still in, you know, we trailers we just built a right uh, a facility that was fourteen million dollars. That's all it costs. That facility that we had, right. where now they're talking sixty, seventy million, uh, and we we were doing some great things. But we hadn't won a national championship. Florida State had, Florida had, Miami had. We had a ways to go. So you don't have to, you don't have to let other people beat on their chest. Right. You know, stay, stay uh, respectful, stay humble, you know, have confidence that we're getting there. And, and I felt like we definitely would get there. I really believe that. And you did. Uh, and you did. You know, and, well, we weren't, but we were making steps that direction. You know, but but don't come out and do those things. That's what I'm talking about. The press conferences, all these coaches, you said set expectations. Right. I just say we're going to get better. I, I wouldn't go in there. I don't care who it is and say, oh, we're going to win that championship. You know, because, you know, you, you may not. Right. You know? So just David just- Shaw David Shaw resigns at Stanford, which is kind of a little surprising. Luke Fickle jumps from Cincinnati to Wisconsin. Everybody thought Jim Leonard at Wisconsin was going to get that job. Either one of those moves surprised you a little bit? Well, I did think Jim Leonard was going to get that head job. And I think Jim Leonard probably would have if they would have won more games. Right. Because he's he's a real good defense coordinator. He's talked about getting head jobs. And Barry Alvarez, it doesn't surprise me with Barry. He's, Barry's got a pretty pretty confident guy. And he just <laughs> felt like he didn't, you know, the emotions probably got there. They lost game. Uh, and, you know, Fickle was ready to go. You know, Cincinnati's kind of, you know, the expectations since Cincinnati are so high. Right. That Luke probably thought, hey, it's time. And he's probably right. Uh, you know, in, in Cincinnati, now where they lose some of that hype and where they're going, they're going at the Big 12. Right. And Pickle's probably looking at that thinking, hey, we're not going to play the same people. You know, now we're playing some people that are that are real. I mean, you know, everybody else is real. Don't get me wrong. But it's different. It's a jump, it's different it's a jump in talent. It's a jump in talent. It's just like when we were in the Big East. Yep. It's different when you play one team, you know, or two teams. But when you're playing week in, week out, the Rutgers and the Louisville. West Virginias and the West Virginias. When you play those people week in, week out, that's a different deal. Yep. It's not as, uh, I mean, for many reasons. So he, he's probably looking at that too. So that didn't surprise me. You know, I thought Leonard would be right. I thought Leonard would be the guy, but that didn't surprise me at all. All right. T- talk about these coaching moves and some, how, how some of this stuff happens. Obviously, you know, this is, a, this is a small window of time. All these moves happen, get announced. I'm, they're probably happening weeks beforehand as far as back, back channels and all that stuff with agents. Do most coaches, especially assistant coaches, do they have agents? I know a lot of head coaches do. Do most assistant coaches have agents? Uh, they do. Most of them, a lot of them probably shouldn't because they're paying out money. They don't need to be paying out, but, uh, you know, head coaches do. And, uh, and these, uh, these agencies are a big deal. You know, they're, they're making a lot of the moves and they've got a lot of power and, you know, the ADs are reaching out to them in a big way, almost to uh, protect themselves a little bit, you know, and uh, it's hard because, you, it, it's to me, you should not be in such a hurry that you don't get the, you don't feel good about the fit. Right. And the other thing is, you definitely don't want to hire somebody just to win the press conference. Yet most of the time that happens. 
you know, you really want to look at it, you know, about the fit and the passion. And does this person really want to be where they're going? Right. Or is it just a job that, you know, it doesn't mean all that much to them, you know? And it, it's it's the, the fabric and all that is so important. And it's hard because you nobody has a crystal ball. They don't know the future. And that's why you get all this turnover and all these different coaches that, you know, go go different directions or don't win. There's so many variables involved. That's very difficult. Last question I want to ask, and I'll get you out of here. So, obviously, there, for, for coaches, the finality of knowing you don't have a job at a certain school anymore for whatever reason, whether you're going to a prom- you're getting a promotion and going somewhere else, you get let go. How speak of just the finality of just the I'm not walking in this building anymore. I'm not going to see this administrative assistant that's helped me all year. I'm not going to see the staff, the, the janitorial staff, the kitchen staff, the people that have helped us do what we do all year. And it's over like that when you as a coach either have to leave because if it's a new job or you get let go. Just talk about the finality of that, that last time. You have to clean your office out probably in one day, right? It's probably They probably have to clean their office out in a day or so. And, you, and it's hard to say goodbye to people that you've – grown relationships with well it is difficult you know it's a very it's very different if you're going to take a job right art and you know if you if you're let go it's very difficult because the first thing you think about is how am i going to support my family i mean that's you know that's the number one thing you know because if you love your family and you love your kids that's what you think about the most sure and then you know there's some embarrassment sometimes if you haven't won games, you feel like you should have done better and nobody wants to look at themselves in the mirror, you know, but that's a part of it. You feel like, you know, that you, you, you failed and you, you, you know, nobody wants, and especially in this profession and nobody wants to ever feel like they're a failure because most coaches are, have won and been, you know, done some really good things. Right. Where at. So it's very, very difficult uh, emotionally yet. Everybody loves to coach, you know, no one knowing those things, you know, certainly I got let go of South Florida, but I had never been let go anywhere, okay. you know, for, uh, for all the years. That's the first time. And then at, at San Francisco was kind of different, you know, because the things that happened with Jim Harbaugh and the ownership and, right. and he moved on. It, it's not really, I guess it's the same thing as being fired, but you have longer contracts. And, right. You know, I had, I had, I had uh, over a year left of my contract. I could have just sat out. You know, I end up, I am going to Colorado, but these assistant coaches, right? They're usually paid one month after they're fired. And that's it. Wow. And they get nothing, no health benefits, nothing. So they're scrambling so hard to find another job. And it's really, you wonder why they do it. Well, because the love of the game, you know, and there's so many positive things that you know that outweigh i guess the right you know the chance of being fired and just that you're not going to see half those guys on that staff are never going to work together again you know you may never yeah. see half those guys again ever you know you'll run into them at some point but you won't be coaching with them day to day it's just a it's a very finale it's a very black and white business like as you've mentioned many times it's a it's a it's a win or lose business and when the finality of it is brutal sometimes in that profession it is you know, it really is. And it's, uh, there's no other way to, to say it. And they always talk about the Monday after Thanksgiving. You know, you talk about Thanksgiving holidays. Right. I remember talking to Paul Griffin and we would talk about that. 
that was it's really one of the worst it's most unbelievable weekends because on one day one day you sit there with your families being thankful for everything you have yeah two days later you're fired yeah, because a lot of people get fired right after thanksgiving so you think about what those christmas holidays are like and right think about the you know what it does again like i said to your families and you know your wives have got to be superhuman you know and it's very very difficult Great work, Coach. Again, we're gonna we're gonna do this one more time at the end of next week at the end of Championship Week. But you, man, you've been the insight you're providing is tremendous. And again, it's again that's one one thing we're trying to do. We want to try to give the the, the fans a look at, at your profession because it's a very we well we see all the glitz and glamour on TV and all that, but there's right. a lot of things in the profession that are that are tough that are that are blunt and that that are that are quick and harsh sometimes. And we're just trying to give everybody a perspective of all the good, the good and the bad, because there's a lot, there's way more good things in coaching than bad, but there are some bad things. And I wouldn't change my life. I mean, you, you know, I was very fortunate in my life. I mean, I, I was, I was at a number of great universities. I got to experience some incredible things and who knows, you know, I may, I may still uh, coach a little bit more. We'll see. I'm just taking a pause because my girls, yep. I believe my girls, they're too important to me and they're priceless and, I bounced around too much and, you know, I've had a chance to go other places, uh, but I just, uh, I don't want to leave my girls. They're, they're too, too much. So well, that's, 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 that's great coach. That's, that's the right attitude for sure. And again, keep up the, uh, the great analysis. You're doing a great job and we really so much appreciate uh, your contributions this year and uh, have a great week. And we'll talk next week. We'll know who the, we'll know who's in the playoff this time next week. Yeah, we sure will. It'll be a good, it'll be a big weekend. Have a great week, coach. See you next week. All right, see you. All right, thanks, Coach. Sean Kelly, play-by-play voice of the Gators, coming up next, Powers or Florida Football Insiders Podcast. College football fans, we know that the season is winding down. Bowl games are in the near future, as well as the college football playoff, and we know you're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices. Take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Ticket Smarter is partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner with the best selection of college football tickets. Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. Purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with Ticket Smarter's mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. In addition, we've got an additional offer for you for those of you that are listening as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Take 5% off of your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off of your order of $100 or more, and that code isn't just for a one-time use. You can use it as many times as you'd like during the college football season to see the biggest games left to be played check out the selections pricing now with ticket smarter and remember our code gridiron 22 think smarter ticket smarter okay welcome back to our special simulcast uh podcast interview we're going to have for the florida football insiders podcast as well as the powers on sports podcast we've got a great pleasure to talk to the new voice of the florida gators mr sean kelly sean's has been uh, the lead play-by-play guy for ESPN College Football on ESPN Radio. He's done a lot of work over the years in, in New Orleans with the Pelicans, 
Tulane over the years and uh, just got a, is a very, very accomplished uh, broadcaster and uh, is a great addition to the University of Florida athletic department and community. Welcome in, Sean. Jason, thanks. When you rattle all that stuff off, I just, I feel less accomplished and more old than anything else these days. <laughs> yeah, well. All right, first off, first question. Selling selling Gainesville, moving from New Orleans, which is a big city, big metropolitan city, all the big sports, to now relocating to Gainesville, Florida, where it's kind of all University of Florida all the time. How was that transition for you and your family? Uh, it's been great. You know, 20 years for me in Louisiana, my kids grew up there. Uh, they're making their lives over in Baton Rouge at this time. So um, it was a big, a big chapter in my family's, uh, I guess, course here and a very abrupt change to go to Gainesville, Florida. Uh, a, I'd never been to Gainesville, which was strange. I had Florida on a number of different occasions in basketball and football, more football than anything else. But strangely, I'd never been to Gainesville or the swamp. And if you would asked me even six months ago, you know, Hey, Sean, is your career probably going to end up and wind up in Gainesville? Probably I would have laughed a little bit. <laughs> um, but it was just one of those things where all the boxes got checked. Uh, it just was going to be a tremendous fit, and it's turned out to be that way here through the first four months. What was the allure of the job? I mean, one thing, you know, you think about it in the broadcasting world, people don't realize the broadcasting world is a lot of free. If you don't have a full-time gig with a company, it's a lot of freelance stuff. Events here and there with different companies was the allure of knowing kind of you're going to have a set schedule in the fall, kind of a set schedule in the winter, and then have a little bit of flexibility to do some other stuff. Was that something that drew you to a job like this? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, maybe more in the fact that um, I got to a point in my career, and I've been very, very blessed, to say the least. And things were going very well at ESPN. I got a lot of questions like, well, why do you want to leave ESPN? I said, well, I don't. I, you know, I was in the midst of negotiating my next contract with ESPN. Things were great. Uh, I loved getting back to doing multiple sports again, as I was doing the last three years full time uh, with with Mickey Mouse there. And in this sense, there were a couple of things in play. One was that I missed a little bit being a part of a team. Uh, you know, sharing in that journey with uh, whether it be an, an NBA team or, you know, in this case, a college team as as it was early in my career. Um, I, you know, it was funny when I was at ESPN, I, I enjoyed like going in, doing a game and then see you later. Really no emotional investment. Right. Um, and, and look, you know, when you when you do now what I'm doing for a particular entity, um, you're emotionally invested. So. The wins feel great. The, the the losses are tough, but at the at the end of the day, you're a part of something. You know, you you wear the colors. Um, you, you're tracking these young people's lives athletically, and sometimes off the field or court too. Uh, you know, throughout the course of not just a season, but maybe even a a very special time in their lives. And so, I miss that in a lot of ways. So there was that. And then because I, I've been as blessed as I have, I, I guess I got to be a little bit choosy about what would be next. Yep. And Florida is an iconic brand in college fo football, basketball. And we're talking about a very short list, I think, that would achieve that that kind of a label. So I, I would put that there. And, and then, of course, you know, everything else has to make sense. The finances have to make sense. Wife has to be on board with this. Sure. Um, you, you have to think about, you know, hey, look, and I always think about this with any job I take, will I be happy there in 10 to 20 years? And that seems ridiculous. And probably most people who like are life coaches would think that that's not healthy, but 
I I don't look at jobs as I'm going to go there for the next thing or this is a short term deal. I always go into these things thinking long term, and I just I love the long term prospect of being at Florida. And the last thing was the people. Yeah, you know, I did my homework on Scott Strickland and and Billy Napier coming in, Todd Golden, right? Uh, you know what this baseball program is here, and really across the board, the entire athletic program, this place wins <laughs> a, a lot. And while it doesn't seem like that here recently in football, you know, track is coming off of, you know, a first sweep ever of the men and the women national championship. Volleyball is competing for a championship. Swimming and diving has Olympians crawling all over the place. I mean, it, it's just a, it's a special, special place and a fan base too, that um, is as passionate as any in the country. So Sure enough, I, I tried to put as many boxes out there to be checked, and they just kept checking boxes. And then the last bonus piece there was the fact that ESPN wanted to keep me in some way uh, if I did decide to take the Florida job. They were super supportive. And when they came around and said, hey, look, we understand this, and it makes a lot of sense. If you can, can you stick around in maybe a smaller way? Yeah. And when they offered that and Florida said, we think that's a good thing too, then, you know, spiritually, financially, you know, emotionally, yeah. all of it made sense. Yeah, it gives you the ultimate flexibility to kind of do what you want to do and not be committed to being on the road, you know, the, the NBA circuit where you're on a road trip for 10 straight days and you're not at home. You know you're going to be home every couple of days, even if it's on a road trip with Florida or an ESPN gig, you're going to be back in a couple of days. Yeah, you know, and and again, all, all of these jobs, as you know, you know, have their pluses and minuses. So, you know, if you're just doing the NBA schedule, yes, during the NBA season, it is an absolute grind. But because it covers this certain chunk of the year, you have what I, you know, the off season. My kids right. love the off season. So there's always a trade off. And I, I don't think any of us should be complaining about being in this position if, if you get it, because A, sure. this is what you dreamed of doing. If you didn't love this, you'd be crazy to do it. So if you get the chance to do it, then you, then you're just trying to figure it out as far as that schedule goes and, and just managing a non-traditional type of job. So I, so you, you're in an interesting position coming into Florida when you did new football coach, new basketball coach, and you all in the same kind of cycle here in the off season. How has that been? Obviously you're replacing a, a, a very fond, very long tenured legend in Florida, Mick Hubert, who's been the voice for the Gators for 30 years um, how you, you having to earn that trust of the Florida community and the Gainesville and the Florida fan base all around the world of Sean's now the new voice. And obviously you have your own style of calling games. How, how has that worked with you and uh, you jumping into that role, replacing such a legend? Yeah. I'll start with the Napier golden thing. First, you brought up the fact that I'm coming in as the new guy along with those two. Um, and I, and look, that wasn't, you know, a major decider for me, but certainly an intriguing one in that yeah. I enjoy process. I get in on the ground floor with the, both of their programs, sure. get to watch those guys build, if you will, yeah. and, and be with them day one, uh, you know, work to what they would like to have our process be broadcaster coach, uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to wedge into what somebody else had already been doing. Now the Mick, the Mick thing, <laughs> um, we're talking about a legend here. We're talking about a guy who is, in this chair for 33 years uh, and adored by their fan base, rightfully sure. so. Did also, you know Mick? Did you know Mick before that? I did not know Mick before. I knew of Mick. Yeah. Um, right. You know, obviously, since we've talked several times and 
and whatnot because we we we're we're two we're half the of the four members of this club since 1940. So wow. uh, he carried the bulk of it for 33 years, and I I got a lot of you know you've got big shoes to fill and and whatnot. And do I have a signature phrase? You know, Mick had oh my and right. uh, you know put that on a t-shirt and everything else. I, I'm not a signature phrase kind of guy. Um, I, uh, as far as the big shoes to fill clearly, uh, but I felt like maybe more so at this time in my career than, than any other, that I could, I could follow somebody like that yep. and, and be okay. Um, you mentioned a very key thing, the trust with the fan base. Mick earns that trust over three decades of work, shares in championships with them, shares in heartbreak too. So um, I, I am in pursuit of that trust. Um, I won't be Mick Hubert in any way. If, if they, if a fan, you know, wants to reminisce about the Oh four Florida football team, right. I probably can't help you on that, but every day moving forward, we will, we'll have that shared experience. So um, I guess my end of the deal is this, I will give you everything I've got uh, and I will be as orange and blue as, as you might imagine. Yep. And we'll go from there. And I think that over time it will take care of itself. And the cool thing about being in a place like Gainesville, as opposed to maybe New Orleans, when you're at the Publix at Gainesville, they're going to know who you are. Where if you're in New Orleans, you're at, at a movie theater, people might know the voice, but they may not recognize that you're the voice. Whereas in Gainesville, they're going to know who Sean Kelly is at the grocery store, at church, at whatever thing you're doing. Yeah, especially in Gainesville. And then, you know, it's it's becoming that way across the state a little bit, too. Yep. You know, <laughs> just read a study. There's over three million Florida fans in the state of Florida. Oh yeah. So um it it's more sometimes it's it's weird in that when you live in Gainesville, schools here in Gainesville, you only kind of think as Gainesville is your universe. And with Florida, it's a much bigger situation with that. You know, we're all talking about you know nearing now a half a million living alumni. So uh as a as I said earlier, it's a it's a national brand for sure. Sure. It was interesting whether it was in the NBA or maybe more so in my years at ESPN. You're kind of nationally known, right? That doesn't make you famous or identifiable. I still had some measure of anonymity going on. Sure. Uh, so now I think in some ways I'm nationally known through my ESPN work and I'm locally famous now here in Gainesville because of the Florida Gators. And now with social, with all the different tech broadcasting technology, people all over the world are listening to Florida Gator games every single night, you know, every basketball, football, baseball, whatever, you guys have those outlets where they can listen to that stuff where, you know, when Mick started, that wasn't available. No, it wasn't. And, and, you know, this is an interesting point or, you know, thing that you bring up here is that when I was getting ready to decide upon this job, I had to kind of figure out what the voice of the Gators would be here in 2022 uh, in the sense that when Mick started his run here in Gainesville, or when I was starting my career, uh, you know, around the same time, you know, radio was a much more upfront medium than it is now. You know, everybody can kind of get the game basically on this now, yeah. or um, they can check scores through social media and, and everything else. My son is 22 years old. So the challenge for me, I think, here in this next phase of the job uh, is how do I be the voice of the Gators, not just in the traditional sense, which I'll do, but how do I be the voice of the Gators to that 22 year old, like my son, who's right. maybe not consuming the game in the traditional sense on radio. Um, and so in what ways can I serve that part of the demographic too? Absolutely. 
All right, so you grew up in St. Louis. Obviously, St. Louis has a very rich pedigree when it comes to sports broadcasters, Costas, Buck, Joe Buck, Jack Buck, and, and many more. Was that kind of your influence of want, wanting to get into this industry and kind of on a full-time basis? Yeah, I think there's two things here. One, we all get to this place in our lives athletically that we realize that we're not playing much beyond where we are. Right. <laughs> you know, for me, obviously, high school and maybe, you know, a chance to to play a little baseball beyond that. But other than that, my desire was to work in sports in some way because uh, I certainly wasn't going to play it. Uh, I didn't really have the appetite for coaching. And and I was, I guess, romanced by these broadcasters you mentioned. And it was not only the quality of the broadcaster, Jack Buck, uh, Bob Starr, um, Dan Kelly, you know, I'm just thinking of people yeah. like that growing up, but but also their connection to the community. Um, you know, St. Louis is a is a big time baseball town. When I was growing up, it was a football town too at the time. Yep. Hockey certainly was on the landscape. But these broadcasters weren't just the voices of their teams, but they were also ambassadors for the team and and pillars of the community. And I would see that, and I and and I desired to have something like that. And so, when I went off to college, the original goal was to kind of like follow my my new mentor in college which is mike reese at southern illinois university mike kelly at the university of missouri also an siu guy uh, so maybe i could be the voice of a school that was the first kind of the, that was the goal um i achieved that by going to tulane and, and you know let's just see what goes on from there the nba thing was a massive curveball um and so my career took me down that path and i was in, in the league for you know, almost 15 years but here i am back at being the voice of uh, of a school. Um, but uh, again, all these things go back to St. Louis, as you mentioned, and wanting to be uh, more than just the guy who calls the games on the radio. And I feel like that's going to happen here a little bit at Florida. So as a broadcaster, you want to try to tell the story of of what's going on in front of you and all that and be as descriptive as you can. How different is it, is it being at the at a, at a university where you're the voice of a school having to provide a little bit of homerism in your commentary versus when you're working ESPN doing a you know a Nick Celtics game where you're not really you don't really have an affiliation to a team how do you how do you balance that uh interest of trying to tell the story the way it is but also having a little bit of I won't say home, you know, homerism is not the right word but you know what I'm saying as far as yeah. a little bit of slant towards the Gator the Gator Nation yeah, I think that when people turn on a Gator broadcast now, they they know it's a Florida Gators broadcast. Uh, <laughs> we're we're t we're concentrating on telling the story of the of the Florida Gators. Um, we're pulling for the Gators. Right. I'm not the homer in the sense that every call is against Florida, <laughs> right. or um, uh, no other opponent should be respected in any way. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 a, it's for Florida Gators fans, but at the same time, it's maybe not as um, I will be excited and we'll punch the big plays, especially on the Florida side, but I'm not going to, you know, be careful here. <laughs> don't give your, don't give a game seven call to a third down conversion in the second quarter. It, it's, it's just, it's just not the same. Um, thankfully I've had experience with both now and on the national side. Yes. It's your, your objective. You're kind of straight down the middle. I kind of want to describe it more as I'm excited for, the big things for both teams. Right. Um, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what's special in these sports for both sides equally. When I'm doing an ESPN radio game, sure. and on the Florida side, uh, I'm certainly not going to be 
um, super excited about a Florida State touchdown on Friday night. Um, <laughs> but I probably will give you a bit of a different call if the Gators score on Friday night. All right, let's get to let's get to on the field. The, the Gators are coming into the uh, you know wrapping up the year six and five. Coach Napier's first year, clearly kind of an up and down. They've had some really good moments, and they've had some other moments where they've struggled a little bit as far as consistency and such. Where do you see Coach Napier? You know, he's got a great pedigree recruiting wise. Where do you, how do you see his phase in year one of building this program back to where it is a national brand and where they are a contending for SEC titles? Yeah, wins and losses, I, I would say now after last weekend, uh, they're probably one one game off of what I thought it would be. I, I thought they'd be sitting at seven wins right now heading for right. Florida State. And I thought that eight and four would be really, really pretty good for Billy yeah. Napier in his first season with the talent that he inherited. Uh, and you'd be bowl, bowl eligible. I felt like getting those extra bowl practices would be a huge thing for this team uh, in its first season. The loss last week at Vanderbilt, you know, stunning, obviously, for Gator fans, um, surprising for others, observers of college football. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that's why I think it's it's one win off the pace. I, You know, having watched Coach Napier a little bit somewhat from afar, but not too far in Louisiana the last several years. Right. Coach Napier has and his staff have a very good track record of of developing players once they get into the program. For, for instance, at Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns aren't getting four four stars and five stars. It's just Correct. it's not going to happen. So Napier and company take twos and threes, and by the time they're done with them, if we re, if we reevaluated, maybe they would be a four or a five or would be able to play at the next level. Right. So he had to do some of that here at Florida, and I think he has. There are several players, especially in that, in that freshman, sophomore group, that have shown tremendous growth. Right. since he took over the program. Uh, and then, you know, it's instilling um, the environment that he wants and the work ethic that he wants here, and then making use of what was already, you know, on the shelf that was left by the prior staff. So in that way, I think he's checked a lot of those boxes. Um, the recruiting will play itself out here shortly. I, I'm not a huge follower of recruiting. I have a hard time believing some. And then, you know, other things, is it enough information that I can – I can say, oh, you know, he's going to have a top eight class. I, sure. I I don't know, and I don't know who to trust really on that. From all reports, I guess what I can gather is it sounds pretty good. We'll find out here, you know, in the coming months. So if he can recruit and and have this team better than it was, you know, obviously when he walked in the door, uh, that's progress. And I, I think that he is not patient with this process, even though he will tell you that, you know, uh, Rome wasn't built in a day or the house isn't built, you know, the, the day you turn on the light switch, all those things. And neither is this fan base too. So um, I think if I'm going to, you know, prognosticate for you, maybe that's what you're asking me to do. I think he gets this back to a national power faster um, than, people than you think. might think. Yeah. 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 Because to me, I think, I think more and more, and even in college football, you have to be able to coach them up when you get them on campus. A lot of, lot of good players out there at all these different programs. It's how well can you and your staff coach them up when you get them there. That's what's made Nick Saban. I mean, sure, Nick Saban has great players, but he coaches those great players to be extraordinary players kind of deal. And that, to me, that's the difference in college. You see it in the NFL, too. Guys like Belichick, they don't normally have the best players in the league, but they're year in, year out, have the best teams because they coach them up and they develop a great culture. Yeah, it's a system. It really is. There's a formula to all this, um, and some guys are better at that formula than others. 
And not only do you have to coach them up when they get here and develop them, you got to keep them too. I mean, right. that that's the other thing in play right now with college football. And look, that's a two-edged sword. Keep them, yes, but we've seen other programs, and Florida will probably do some of this themselves, and has already started with a couple of guys that he brought with them from Louisiana. Right. But you can you can jumpstart this or or do something with that transfer portal in a positive way as well. Correct. No, correct. Absolutely. And with all the NIL money that's out there, all the every university has their own program or, or operation of how they generate those dollars. And, and 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 you're right. You can you can turn it around quick. All right. So you're going into your first Florida Florida State matchup over the weekend. The Gators beat the Seminoles on the basketball court uh, last week. Just talk about the uh, you, from your perspective, just of a big rivalry game. How do you, you know, it's obviously you're just calling a game. I get it, but there's always a little extra juice in a rivalry game, whether it's Florida Georgia, Florida Florida State. Just how, your excitement level when you know you're in a big game situation as a broadcaster. It, it's high. I mean, I don't know how you you can't get amped up for this. You know, in a lot of ways, these rivalry games only reside now in college sports. Um, we've lost so many good rivalries in pro sports, um, you know, division realignment, free agency, all those things. I mean, yes, Cubs Cardinals is still special. Yes. Yankees, Red Sox still special. There's a couple in hockey that still ring the bell a little bit, but, but that's really it. So, you know, this resides in college football, college basketball, college athletics, and there's a juice to it. And there's an unpredictability about it. And, you know, sometimes it's like in the case this week of Michigan, Ohio State, yep. it's an elimination game. Yes. Uh, both are undefeated. It has massive implications to not just the Big Ten, but the national championship picture as well. But, you know, otherwise, it's usually it's a it's a bragging rights game. B, it's a chance to ruin something for the other team. Uh, and we see that probably more often than not yes. in college athletics. You know, there's the team that's kind of on a roll. And maybe you haven't had the best year, but boy, wouldn't it be nice That's to make right. sure that they don't as well. Um, right. So all those things play into it. And then of course, you know, you have the proximity in this situation. You have families that have Seminoles in the family and Gators in the family. And you have these kids that played together perhaps or against each other in high school. Sure. All those things play into it. Not to mention obviously pageantry, tradition of when this game is played time of year and whatnot um and and even in this situation here not even in the same conference but yet nobody seems to to you know that doesn't seem to matter even though off the field um you know there was this talk what over the summer with all the conference shakeup you know hey would florida state go to the sec right. oh well florida will never let them you know or <laughs> you know you know just stuff like that you know barrett jones my my former espn uh, radio football partner uh, he played at Alabama yeah. and whatnot I know he better. had a great phrase he he would always say you know bring me all the petty and and I, I'm, I'm on board with that give me all the petty here in a rivalry game and in college athletics because it's just it's just fun all right last thing I'll get you out of here so back in back in your Louisiana days I saw that you got your fireman's certificate and you did some <laughs> fireman's work in Louisiana helping uh, as a volunteer at one of the parishes uh is gain is the, is the Gainesville fire Depart fire department hiring looking for some volunteer help <laughs> uh, I I would be more than happy to help them in any non-firefighting role um <laughs> I'm I'm getting a little too old to go running into buildings like that or 
uh, get get an alarm at 1:30 a.m. It, it was it was a really strange uh, thing that developed. You know, I I when I was doing just the NBA stuff, I had that massive off season, and I was looking for some. I, I can't help myself. I always have some on the side. But um, I started as a volunteer. You do a, a, a you do this much training to be a volunteer, and then I loved it. And and there was a need for me as kind of a flex person with my schedule. Yeah. So I just kept training and eventually I got, you know, fully certified and became a paid firefighter uh, and enjoyed doing that for, I don't know, five, six years, I guess it was until my ESPN career started to take off yeah. in conjunction with my NBA. And it was, it, it, it's simple math. Like in order to stay as a paid firefighter, you have to complete X number of hours of training every year. Um, and it was getting out of balance right? in that I was, training more than i than hours worked if that makes sense so sure and we knew the the chief and i had worked up this this grand (laughs) concoction we knew that eventually it would get out of balance right and i eventually you know said hey i think we've reached the out of balance point and um and so i kind of had to to let it go i miss it it's a cool thing though it's a cool thing yeah Yeah, that was very cool thing on your resume yes uh i i think that at the time i i I don't think there was any other NBA broadcaster slash firefighters <laughs> running around. So party of one, I guess. I got you. Well, Sean, it's been a real pleasure, man. I really appreciate the time. Keep up the great work in year one in Gainesville. Welcome to the, the Gator Nation. And uh, have a great broadcast during the, fo- here, the remainder of the football season. And obviously, you're, into the bas- you're, you're, you're diving into basketball right now as well. And uh, continued success, man. You're, 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 you, do, you do your job very well. And keep up the great work. Jason, you're very kind. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to those who hear this before or around the holiday. And otherwise, uh, I'll look forward to our next time together. Appreciate it, Sean. Have a great have a great weekend. Take care. Thanks, you too. Florida Football Insiders Podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's. Beefo Brady's at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue in Tampa in the Carrollwood and Forest Hills area. For all of your football, baseball, basketball, hockey, viewing pleasures, Check out Beefo Brady's every day of the week they're open. Whether you're wanting to watch games on Thursday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night, your favorite hockey team, your favorite college basketball team, NBA team, check out Beefo Brady's. If you're looking for any catering needs, corporate events, things like that, Beefo Brady's can help you as well. They do all the things you need to be done in the restaurant and sports bar business. So Beefo Brady's. Corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome back. We are going to be joined by Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel. We're going to talk a little Florida State, Florida, the epic uh, showdown and historic uh, scoring uh, game, rivalry game up in Tallahassee from last week. We're also going to talk UCF, USF, and then UCF is the only team in the state that's going to be playing for a conference championship this week in New Orleans with the rematch with Tulane. So welcome back, Matt. Oh, thanks for having me back. All right, talk, let's 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 get to Tallahassee first. Friday night, a rare Friday night game in this series. I can't. I was telling somebody the other day. I can't remember the last Friday night game, the Friday game between Florida, and Florida State, and what a classic it was. The highest scoring game in the history of the series, forty-five thirty-eight. Had a lot of ebbs and flows. Had a little controversy at the end with the no call and the face mask. Just give us your perception. You were there. Talk a little bit about the uh, the atmosphere at Dope Campbell and just the uh, the game itself. 
Yeah, it was unreal. You know, I think this is the first time they've played on a Friday night or regular season game. You know, I think they've played um, midweek a couple times when they were uh, they faced off of the Sugar Bowl. I think back in the you know a couple a couple decades ago, but it was an incredible atmosphere. You know, it was, it was almost a packed house. Uh, tailgating lots were, were were hopping when I first got there, uh, which is a good sign. And you know, I mean, I mean, got on the field, you just felt like this was going to be something special. And you know, yeah, you're right. It was ebb and flows. You know, I think early on. You know, both teams kind of were feeling each other out. You saw Florida State able to take advantage of some some opportunities to score. You saw, you know, Florida was able to come back and do some things. Uh, and then, you know, they, Florida State went through that period maybe for about eight minutes between the one that the coaches always talk about, right, the end of the first half and then going into the second half. You know, that it seemed like maybe or not they were going to kind of maybe struggle a little bit. But that third quarter for Florida State really you know, kind of turned things around. Defense held Florida to 55 total yards. You know, they were able to take advantage. I think they scored 17 straight points, really kind of took control of the game at that point. Yes, Florida came back a little bit in the fourth quarter and was able to make things a little bit interesting. But to me, the the, the standout star was Jordan Travis. I mean, Jordan Travis really, again, as he's done all season long, elevated his game and that, you know, what he was able to do against the Gators, made some just impossible runs. There were times I tweeted this out that looked like video game. You know, the guy was just running around. There was that one play where they're in the, the red zone and, Florida comes with a with a blitz up the middle and he drops and Travis drops back and there's three guys in his face and you think he's going to get sacked and yet he spins out of that and you know guys are basically grabbing air and he runs and, and, and almost got the touchdown got down to the goal line should have been a touchdown but got down to the goal line and they punch it in on the next play just plays like that back and forth where he was just kind of un- unbelievable and you know and then you know Florida State gets the win and, and for the first time I think since the late 90s fans stormed the field and that was just rare for to see that i think a lot of us in the press box were jumping up and taking photos because you just haven't seen that kind of thing before and it was a great moment for the players and for norvell and for everything that's gone on because it's been such a a stretch of just mediocrity over the last four or five years for this program to get that win and then realize now they got to nine now they're going to play in a bowl game they got a chance to get to 10 wins this just kind of makes up for a lot of it. And, and, and the players of Mike Norvell after the game were just over the moon for what they were able to do and accomplish the season. And, and what's yeah, and you're right. The, the, again, the Florida State program has really turned the corner, it seems like, back to their days. And I, I, obviously, there have been bigger Florida-Florida State games over the years with national championship implications and all that. I get it. But I think and, – and the sad part is that Florida State's probably playing the best of anybody in the ACC right now. You know, if they would have figured out a way to win in one or two of those games they lost – they sh- they'd be in the title game, and they're probably pl- again. I think they're probably playing as good as anybody in the conference for sure. Um, and and you know they're probably one of the top ten, 15, probably one of the top fifteen teams in the country, to be honest. Yeah, very much so. And you know, it was what's what's disappointing for the ACC, especially for Florida State this year, is you know if if Clemson's in the 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 playoff semifinals, then there's an opportunity for Florida State to go to the Orange Bowl, and that would right. have been outstanding. You know, for think about what that would have accomplished for Mike Norvell. Right. But Florida State doesn't. They lose their game to South Carolina. North Carolina struggles. It looks like, you know, obviously that, that Clemson probably will go to the Orange Bowl and more than likely that more and let if they win this weekend. And then, you know, Florida State's probably going to go. They're still going to go to a premier bowl game, but it's not a New Year's Six game. And I think that would have been something that would have been the next step for what Mike Norville is trying to do. Talked about afterwards about recruiting. That would have been huge for the recruiting trail to be able to say we're playing in the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Um, but again, this they've played some of the best football right now. 
uh, especially in the ACC, and really kind of deserve to be with that. I'll be interested to see where they're in, in the rankings tonight. I think they'll probably be in the top maybe 13 yeah. when it's kind of said and done. Uh, but, you know, again, when it, when the season's over with, if they win their bowl game, they could be a, a top 12 team, which is nowhere near, I think, what everyone thought they were going to be when they ended the season. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Talk about, just real quick, and then we'll get to UCF, talk about what Florida State's losing. I mean, I, I know Travis is probably back next year, correct? I believe he's got one more year. What, what, he does, he does have any one major, more year. Yeah, are they losing any major cogs in the in, – in, in the, and obviously we'll know from a transfer portal situation in the next yeah. coming month or so what happens there. But guys that we know of, what is their, what are going to be the big losses that they're going to sustain? Well, more than likely, Jared Verse is gone, which is, you know, I mean, he was he was the, the one-year transfer came in from Albany, um, you know, had a tremendous year. I think a lot of people have him projected to be a first-round, you know, NFL pick. It's hard to turn that down considering he really was not highly recruited sure. coming out of high school to, to, to make the movies made. Um, my guess is he's probably gone. Um, you know, Robert Cooper, the nose tackle, was a senior. Fabian Levitt is a redshirt junior, but he's probably going to be gone. Those guys have it. Jamie Robinson, the talented safety, more than likely he's probably going to go as well. Um, Johnny Wilson, you know, the transfer receiver right. from, from Arizona State, he might decide to leave. No one's made any official announcements yet, but you can see him maybe making a check. He's got the size and build that a lot of NFL teams will be attracted to maybe to bring in, even whether it's just for a you know for practice team starting out or, or getting on the field itself. Um, you know, again, other, some other guys maybe, but I, I think there are a lot of these guys on this team. Dylan Gibbons, the offensive lineman, excuse me, is another one who's a senior who's leaving. He'll be done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there might be a, a, another person here or there, but um, I think right at this point they have a good basis right now um, if they don't lose. And I think Jordan Travis comes back. I, I don't yes. think there's – I don't think – I mean, he could leave, but I, if I'm looking at him and the projections, I don't think he's in, in the top – you know, 15 when it comes to being drafted quarterbacks. Yeah, so I agree. why not come back and, and give them a strong year? Uh, and I think that says a lot. So, but I, I agree with you. The next, the transfer portal opens up December 5th. So you're going to see some guys who are probably going to jump in there. Um, there may be a few surprises here or there, but at this point, nothing that stands out in my mind. All right, let's transition to UCF. Uh, UCF was in a, uh, again, another wild game. Probably the two of the more wilder games in the country were probably here in the state of Florida with the rivalry games. UCF, UCF, I mean, USF and UCF, excuse me. Obviously, UCF jumps out 28 nothing. Everybody in the everybody in the building thinks the game's over. And you, you turn around at the end of the third quarter and it's 39-38 USF going to, you know, early in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, UCF, unbelievable catch at the end they, they they come back no plumley in the second half apparently a hamstring injury mikey Keene comes in does a, again they struggle a little bit but us give usf credit they hung around but an incredible catch by the ucf receiver there at the end uh kind of an odell beckham-esque kind of catch uh the game winner there they score make the two-pointer and then they hold off uh, usf at the end had, they, they had to win the game, obviously, because of the because of the conference U, or the AAC championship scenario. So, just talk about UCF. Did they you, did you get any sense from Malzahn post game that they let up, or is it just more the the effects of a rivalry game of why that game was so wild? I think it's a little bit of effects of a rivalry game. I also think you know UCF made some mistakes. You know, in the third quarter, they went through a period there where they 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 turned the ball over like almost uh, was it two or three straight times. And, yeah, you, know, you, you can't you can't make those mistakes. You know, fumbles that they're not accustomed to, to making, you know, and, and um, you know, this was, as I mentioned, going into the, to this, to this week, you know, for USF, this was their bowl game. You sure. You're one, you're a one win team. You're playing your rival. You have an opportunity to, to beat them and 
disrupt what their plans are, maybe knock them out of the conference championship race um, as they're going out the door to the Big 12. I mean, USF would have loved to have done that. And you saw them play that way in the second half. And, and uh, you know, John Rice Plumley obviously has been dealing with a hamstring issue over the last couple of games, hasn't been able to play a full game both the last two weeks. Mikey Keene has been outstanding coming in, you know, uh, in relief. Did a, a, an excellent job in the second half. I know there were some plays where they would love to have the ball back after turning it over. Um, but then late in the game when U, US, UCF needed to get a score, they were able to do Alec Dollar with that one-handed catch at the end. Um, probably will go down as the best catch in UCF history. They've had some good ones, but I think that one, because of the way – what it meant to them. Yes. You know, the idea that – the conference championship game saves their season, so to speak. You know, I think that will go down as one of the greatest catches they've had. Um, but again, you know, when you make mistakes, when you turn the football over, when you get sloppy, you know, um, I think that's where teams get an opportunity to come in the door. And I think if you're Gus Malzahn, that's a little bit of a concern, um, especially considering you're coming off of the Navy where you didn't play well. Um, you know, they're not playing, I would say, like great at this moment, but they're playing good enough to win games. Now going up against Tulane, they're going to have to play great because Tulane really is kind of firing off cylinders. You saw what they did against Cincinnati and they're playing at home. And so, you know, for UCF, they're going to have to, they can't turn the ball over as much as they did against USF. Yeah. And if you remember folks, Tulane and UCF played only a couple of weeks ago in new Orleans, same scenario in Tulane, the running game of Plumlee was the difference in that game. I mean, Plumlee was tremendous running the ball. They just ran the ball at Tulane and it was in, almost unstoppable they scored a bunch of points Tulane made a rally late but it came up short how do you think this with do you think Malzahn kind of helped Plumlee out of that second half to try to save him for the Tulane game um, obviously you need you know that's their bread and butters the running game especially the quarterback run is really makes UCF a dangerous team especially against Tulane do you think there was a little bit in the back of Gus's mind of hey I'm going to try to hold him out and try to survive this game with Mikey Keene no, no. I, I think okay. if, if that would have been the case, I mean, listen, the, when, when USF took the, the lead 39-38, there's no way Gus, if that is the case, and, and Gus never <laughs> indicated that, if that is the case, the Gus was playing playing with fire because, I mean, you know, if they'd lost that game and, and that was the case, you know, you, that was your one chance to get there. I think, you know, I think Plumlee has been just kind of a little bit banged up. Okay. Um, now, and I think what will be important to see is, you know, they haven't announced whether he's going to be the start the game or whether it's going to be Mikey. My guess is Plumlee will start the game. But I think Gus now knows, okay, I've got Mikey in the back pocket. I can always bring him out for different scenarios. Maybe give him an opportunity. If, if, if Plumlee struggles a little bit or is still hampered, yeah. he'll give him an opportunity to go out there. I, I mean, this to me is going to come down to running the football again. I, I think UCF wants to do what they've done well. They want to run the football. I think they want to take opportunity shots down the field. They want to take advantage of some explosive plays if they can. I think to me it's going to come down to their defense. UCF's defense has really got to step up. You know, they've struggled over the last three or four weeks. They haven't been nearly as solid. I thought they did a good job against Navy, kind of keeping Navy down, uh, running the football. But they're going to have to stop Tulane. And Tulane is red hot. And, yeah. You know, I know the lot when they met two weeks ago, it wasn't really a great crowd. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people right. complained about the fact that Tulane uh, fans didn't show up. But they're going to show up for this game because this, this is a conference championship game. So I think UCF has to just play the kind of football that they're used to playing, tune out everything else that's going on around them, get the crowd out of the game, and and just – take care of the football. I mean, those are the things that they've done really well. I mean, they've got opportunities to score some points here. And, and as long as they can protect the quarterback, you know, where they struggled this year is where they they've, they haven't been able to get the offense going because the quarterback's been under too much pressure. They got to protect the quarterback, whether it's John Rice Plumlee or whether it's Mike right. King. I mean, the other caveat in this game is from Tulane side, 
most likely this is the last game for Willie Fritz. A lot of speculation that he's going to go to Georgia Tech. Most somewhere he's probably not going to be the coach at Tulane next year because of because of his success. So I think it's two ways. The players can either think they either take the point of they're disappointed that he's leaving, or this is their Super Bowl, the first time they've been in a championship game in forever. They're hosting it in their building in New Orleans. I think you're going to get a great effort potentially out of Tulane again. And, and, and as we, as you know, in sports, hard to beat a team a second time in the same year. T- tough to meet, especially at this level of, of, of play where the talent level is pretty similar and between both teams. Both games are in at Tulane. You would think that crowd would be more of a factor. But again, you're right. We'll be, de- we'll be very dependent on, on can Tulane stop that UCF running game because they ran the ball at will the first meeting. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be for Willie. For Willie, it's going to be about Willie Brent's going to be about how do you kind of temper those, you know, those those rumors. You know, what I mean, because it looked like at one point Sunday night he was gone. He was going to go right. to Georgia Tech. Now that's changed a little bit. Now whether that means he's not going to get open the job or whether Georgia Tech is is maybe looking around some more just to see who else is out there, that remains to be seen. But still, you, those rumors swirling around the program are something that he's going to have to address and make sure his players. This is kind of similar to what happened a couple of years ago at UCF when Scott Frost was leaving for Nebraska. Right. You know, he was going into the conference championship game all week long. We kind of had the feeling he was leaving, you know, and he kind of, they kind of tried to say no, 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 no. But, you know, he knew he was leaving. And at the end of the game, that's why he was so emotional because he knew he was taking the job at Nebraska. It was a tough thing. I think Willie is that same sort of scenario, you know, and I think you're right. Those players will want to play for him. This, If he they feel like he's leaving, this is their chance to go out there and, and send him out on, on, on a good note. You know, again, Plus, you got to look at the fact that there's a lot at stake here. They see the, the fact that it's the Cotton Bowl. You know, there's no where are we going to go. It's you're going to the Cotton Bowl in a New York Six game. So there's an opportunity there for a lot of these players who've never had that maybe chance to, to play in a, a level like that. So I think they're going to come out and be very fired up for this game. What do you see happening Saturday? I think it's going to be a close game. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think UCF still win this game if, if Plumley plays the way he did like the first time. I think they're a little bit better team. But you know, again, if they turn the football over. Like they did against USF, uh, Tulane has a you know has a lot you know really kind of a lot of momentum in the going into this game and 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 you know, you hope that maybe they're a little bit banged up after the Cincinnati game but I think UCF comes out of this just barely but I mean again it's it's going to depend on where they can keep track of the football and I think if Plumley can't play the entire game I think Tulane wins I think if Plumley can play the whole game his legs were a major factor in the last meeting I think I think they'll figure out a way to get it done if he's able to go the whole distance but if if but if Mikey Keene has to come in, not because he's not a good player, but just because it's a different style of offense with UCF with Mikey Keene in the game than it is with, with Plumlee. And I think the Plumlee's legs were the difference the first time. So if Plumlee plays the whole game, give UCF a great chance. If Plumlee can't go the whole way, I think Tulane will figure out a way to get it done at home. Yeah, I think Keene, you know, Keene has experience. What would be interesting to me is, like, you know, when he, he, it's a different offense with Keene. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to throw the ball around a right. lot more. He's, right. he's a much better, accurate quarterback. So, you know, again, that's that's a challenge for Tulane. You know, do they do they have to prepare for two quarterbacks? Because if, if Plumlee can't go, you know, Keene can come in there, and they're going to do some different things. They're going to throw the ball a lot more. They're going to try to take advantage of deep balls. Um, and those are things they may try to do anyway. You know, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I agree that I think Plumlee is, is a different dimension for them. And I think it would be a little more of a challenge for Tulane to have to contain him. Well, Matt, keep up the great work, man. Tell everybody where they can find all your great work online. They can go to OrlandoSentinel.com or they can follow me on Twitter at OSMattRochelle. And if you're watching on the Jason Powers Sports Channel, you can see Matt's Twitter handle right behind him sitting in his, in his nice office with all his memorabilia and all that good stuff. And uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving, Matt. I really appreciate the time. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk soon.
Matt Michelle, Orlando Sentinel. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast ne- Network. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at Sports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.